Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Well, hello there. Good to see all of you. Is it good to be seen? Great. I'm going to get right into my message this morning because we're going to be receiving communion here in a little bit, and I need to give myself plenty of time here. So uh, I'm going to be continuing the series that we began a couple of months ago where we're, lo- where we're talking about what we believe, our foundational beliefs as Christians. And the series is actually called A Foundation, and today we're going to talk about communion and the Lord's Supper, what it means and the significance of it. I mean, you ever think about it? Why do we eat a little piece of bread and drink a little cup of juice or wine in church together? I shared with you last week when we uh, did baptisms that if you were to take the thing that we're doing, if you were to take that sacrament, if you were to take that particular act and disconnect it from any kind of spiritual reality, it would look kind of weird, wouldn't it? It would look kind of weird if we came to church and watched people come up here and go down into a water tank with another person and then they dunk that person and bring them up and everybody cheers and they're in a building, a public building, wet. They're the only ones and we're all staring at them. If we, if we didn't have a sense of context and we didn't understand what we were doing and we didn't know the significance of it, it looks kind of weird. It also can look kind of weird that we gather together I mean, listen, if you're going to get together and eat something, let it be big and legit and juicy, a steak or something, some tacos, right? And in, in reality, in the early church, they would gather and they would have these feasts together. And many times in the midst of that feast, they would have communion. They would insert it as it was inserted in the midst of the Passover meal when Jesus and the disciples partook of it. But it is kind of different if you think about it. And I'm sorry about the popping I got going on here with my microphone, but it is kind of different if you think about it, how we gather together, we break little pieces of bread, we get a, you know, a little thing of juice, you're going to have a little juice, I get, I get a legit wine glass up here, and uh, I'm not going to tell you what's in it, but I plan on gulping it all down. So it, it would, it would just be kind of strange, some of the things we do within the context of our church life, if we didn't have revelation from God on it, what it means and, and the significance of it. And, and so today we're going to talk about this and we're going to talk about, is this just a symbolic ritual that we do and, or is, is there something really deep and significant for our lives? Is there something that's meaningful for how we live right now? Because the truth is, I don't just want to do stuff to do it, you know what I mean? I want to understand the why as much as is possible. And, and when we get into communion and baptism and some of these things, there's the element of mystery. There's this element of, of we, we know there's something really beautiful and profound about it, but we can't quite grasp all of it. And of course, in our Western minds, in our American mindset, we want to understand everything. So we're going to take a crack at bringing explanation to it. But I just want to tell you right off the bat that communion is mysterious. Now, there's a lot about it that I'm like, yeah, I... I, th- I think this is what it means, but maybe there's more. I've talked to people all over the world from different traditions and backgrounds who have encountered the presence of God, and they've encountered something of a life-changing nature through communion, and uh, they've told me their stories, and I'm like, I can't, I, that, that sounds legit to me. So we're going to talk about that today. And 
I want to take you to our GHC belief. It's GHC belief number seven. It's very simple. You'll notice in our belief that we don't explain. So in other words, we don't give a deep explanation about what it means. We just state this is what we believe and we kind of move on because we leave it, a lot of it, to mystery. But look at it with me. We believe in, the pract- we believe in and practice the Lord's Supper. It says this, we believe in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, also known as communion. It's pretty simple, isn't it? <laughs> pretty straightforward. We believe in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, also known as communion. So go with me now to Luke chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 14 through 20. If you've got a Bible, whether it's digital or paper, you can turn there. It will be on the screen as well. And we're going to look at Luke's version of the communion meal, this Last Supper, this Passover meal. And we're going to draw out of it some thoughts Um, It's funny, I prepared a lot more than I'm going to have time to share today, so I'm just going to hit a few highlights and then we're going to get right into communion. So look at Luke 22, 14 with me. It says this, when the hour came, he reclined at the table. I love that. Do you notice, first of all, the he there is Jesus. And when it says he reclined at the table, and that's what they did when they ate meals. They had low tables to the floor, pillows all around, And Jesus reclined at table. And I think that the author, Luke here, wanted us to get, wanted to capture for us a sense of being kind of at home, kind of with your people, kind of in a relaxed state, even though they were celebrating the Passover meal. And it it goes on to say, uh, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. And said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So that's that's Luke's gospel. And we're going to look at a couple of other texts along the way from the other gospels that that tell us the story of communion. But I just want to break this down for a few minutes. And I want to start with this question. What is communion? What is it? What does it mean? And I have a a few words that I I want to introduce to you today. Some of you will be familiar with these words. And some of you, maybe this will be the first time you've ever heard these words. But these are theological terms that are important for us to understand. I know they're big words. I'm not trying to impress you. But I want to draw something out and help us to understand what communion is with these three words. So the first word is communion is a sacrament. Communion is a sacrament. What's a sacrament? A sacrament is a connection point where God transmits or imparts His grace to us. So in our kinds of churching, preach, in our kind of churches, preaching, baptism, and communion are the main three sacraments that we believe in. Other churches like the Roman Catholic have multiple sacra- sacraments and, and other churches as well. Some of the main line churches have other sacraments that we practice or that they practice. Um, But the the main three ones that we embrace are preaching, baptism, and communion. However, 
Many other things in life can be sacramental. I don't know if you've ever recognized this. If a sacrament is a way in which God transmits or imparts grace to us, that awareness of His favor, His presence, His smile, His kindness, His love, if if that's what a sacrament is, then many things can be sacramental. Music can be sacramental. Have you ever been listening to a song in church or on the radio or maybe you've got, you know, you're you're listening to a a mix that you've put together uh, on your phone or something or you're in your car and you're listening to music and, you know, you have it randomly set in a shuffle and, and suddenly a song comes up and that song touches something deep within you. It causes you to worship or maybe it speaks to a situation in your life. Maybe it's an answer to something you had just prayed or talked to God about or thought about and in the midst of that moment you recognize the presence of God comes to you, the voice of God comes to you, He comes near to you and God meets you through a song. Anybody ever experienced that? Or creation. You ever been, you know, looking over a canyon or looking up at a mountain or by a stream or, or just beholding the beauty and the wonder of what God creates and feel like something happened to you in that moment? I've had that happen a number of times in my life. I told this story a few years ago here, but one time I was at the ocean and I was looking at the waves and I was really wrestling with God about my place my place in this world. I was really wrestling with God about my calling, my place, and, and what I, you know, what, what, what's the significance of what I'm doing? And I was praying, and I was asking Him to speak to me, and I began to watch the waves, and I began to watch the ocean, and through that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and made something real to me that I needed to hear. He used creation to transmit grace to me and connect with my heart. Same thing can happen with the arts, whether it's somebody painting something or creating, you know, a, a writing, a novel, it can, it can be any, any number of things that are artistic and creative in nature, and God will use those things to connect with you and speak to you. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, anytime there's an operation of the gift of the Holy, a gift of the Holy Spirit and someone is healed or a word of prophecy goes forth or something else happens that is, has that supernatural touch of God's presence upon it and it changes a life at that moment, grace was transmitted. The life of God was transmitted to the person and they were touched. How about the church? And in particular, when I say the church, we mean people. You ever had somebody pray for you and they touched you and they prayed for you and something happened? Right? You just, whoa, you feel something. I remember one time years ago, and, and I'm not tooting my horn, this was a group of us. I was a teenager. I was newly, had newly come to Christ. I might have been 20 by then, but we were all going out. We were in Southern California, and we went out into these canyons where everybody partied. And they had keggers back there, and everybody was getting high, and they were partying. And we took a team of people, and we went back to their party. And we just started meeting them and shaking their hands and talking to them and sharing the gospel with them. And I remember I came to a guy, and I was telling him about Jesus. And he was listening to me, you know. And then he, I said, can I pray for you? And he said, sure. And I reached over and put my hand on his shoulder. I think he, he thought I was going to go home and do the rosary or something for him, right? So I said, can I pray for you? And I reached over, and I put my hand on his shoulder. And when I touched him and started to pray for him, he was standing there like this, you know, and, and he was kind of skeptical and he had a few in him. You know, he was pretty relaxed, but he was kind of skeptical. And then I started to pray for him and the power of God hit him. And he went, whoa, what the heck was that? He said, I felt like, like electricity went through me. And of course, I didn't, I just want to say, I didn't feel anything. But God 
touched him because he wanted him to know. And, and that's what I told him. I said, the Holy Spirit just touched you. God touched you because he loves you. He's chasing you. He's after you. See, that was sacramental in nature. There was an impartation of divine grace. And, and that can be true of so many things in our lives. Sacrament, though, is a mystery. You know, what we try to do is formulize it. I, I've noticed this is the way we are, right? Like, have you ever done something in your walk with Christ and you found success in it and then you sought to repeat it over and over again and you didn't have the same results? That's what we do. We seek to formulize something that's mysterious. And in this case, this sacrament of, of communion is mysterious. And, and here's what's interesting. The word sacrament is a Latin word, but it is transliterated from a Greek word, and that Greek word is the word mysterion, where we get mystery. It's the word that's used in the New Testament when Paul speaks of the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he shows us over and over again is that Christ is the key that unlocks all the mysteries of God, everything that the Old Testament foreshadowed, all the things that the sacrificial system foreshadowed, every time an animal was sacrificed, every time the priest put on his garments and went in and did all the things that the Hebrew people did, all of those things were mysteries that were pointing to Jesus Christ and his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his sacrifice on the cross, all of it was pointing to Jesus. And when Jesus showed up on on this field of life, when he showed up here on earth and he came on the stage, his life was the key that unlocked all the mysteries of the Bible and now we saw the Bible in flesh, in a body, in Jesus Christ. He's the mystery and that's what happens when we have communion. We meet Jesus in communion. And that takes me to the second word. Are you still with me? And that word is communion is incarnational. I know, again, another long word. Think about this though, carnitas, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking So incarnational, it's, it's, it's the same root. It's the idea is meat, flesh. And the picture is deity in flesh, right? God enfleshing himself. So to bring spiritual, the spiritual nature of God into the material world, the Son of God came down into human flesh in the person of Jesus. Jesus, who is the second person within the Trinity, became a man and lived among us. An incarnational theology is a, th a theology that recognizes that God wants to merge and marry the spiritual world of heaven with the material world of earth. Jesus came to restore the breach that happened with our fall into sin. Communion is one way that God incarnated his spiritual life with the material world. Bread and wine become a symbol and a means to transmit grace to us and bring the benefits of Jesus' broken body and poured out blood into our lives. You see, when we have communion, what we're experiencing is heaven and earth coming together. Because the, really the story of Scripture, the overarching story from Genesis to Revelation is that God made human beings to be in union and communion, relationship, intimate relationship, friendship. He's father, we're children. He, he created us that way and sin came into the world and twisted and broke everything and when it did, we fell and part of our fall created a blindness, it created a breach, it created a barrier between heaven and earth. 
And so, and, and I'm not saying that God withdrew from us. I'm saying that our sin blinded us to God because God fills every nook and, crea- and cranny of his creation. He's here, there, and everywhere. We just can't see him, taste him, experience him, feel him, know him. We can't know him until he bridges the gap, until he breaks down the barrier. And that's what the cross was. The cross was the bridge between heaven and earth. It was the thing that once and for all broke down that barrier that exists between us, between God and mankind, between human beings and the God who is invisible yet fills all things with himself. And so what happens when we have communion is we, we find a connection point. We, we take this bread. You know, you think about this. I've got a piece of bread here. It's already been partially broken, but you, you take this bread here and you realize what wheat, the process that, that happens in order for this to become a loaf of bread. That, you know, this wheat is pain, painstakingly grown and cared for and it grows up into maturity, and then it's harvested, and then it's crushed, and it's combined with other ingredients, and then it's fired, and it's mixed, and then out of that fire and that mix comes a loaf. And then we think of the life of Jesus. We think of, we think of wine or, or juice and, and what it comes from. It comes from a grape, right? And these grapes, again, painstakingly grown, and then at the end of that growth cycle, they're taken and they're crushed, and out of that crushing is produced, you know, a liquid, and then out of that liquid you add a kind of yeast, and, and it turns into wine, right? And in the ancient world, they, they had these wine presses. They, they were like a little pool almost, like let's say it's a, a kind of a square pool, and it had a place for the wine to flow out at one end, and they'd throw all these grapes in there, and then people would get inside there, hopefully with clean feet, right? And they would tramp around, and they would crush those grapes, and those grapes would produce that juice. And you think about both of those processes, the creation of a loaf of bread and the creation of wine, and it's all about broken, being crushed. And that's what Jesus went through. So he's the perfect God in a bod, right? The God-man, broken for us, crushed for us, that his blood might atone for us, that we might be cleansed and forgiven and washed and renewed. And so when we partake of communion, we're holding up two elements and heaven is coming and touching those things and breathing life into those those things. And as we partake of them, we're remembering and we're looking upon Jesus Christ crucified and that Jesus Christ crucified makes us good again, clean again. And that's something to celebrate. Isn't that true? And the other thing is, is communion is symbolic, but it's also dynamic. And I put those two words together because, yes, the bread is symbolic of Jesus' body. We don't believe that the bread literally becomes the body of Jesus. And yes, the juice is symbolic of Jesus' blood being sacrificed for us. We don't believe that, you know, the the wine or the juice is actually Jesus' blood. But, but, are you with me on the but? Okay, however, something mysterious and dynamic is also happening during communion. Through childlike faith in Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross, we can receive grace and the benefits of his presence and the benefits of his sacrifice for us. Communion becomes a connection point where we experience the benefits of all that Jesus has done for us. You see, I'll hear people say sometimes, you know, baptism is just symbolic. 
communion is just symbolic. And I say, no, there's nothing that's just symbolic in the Christian life. Everything is fused with God's presence. And so God's presence is over, in, through, above, with. And when we partake of communion, we're experiencing a connection with Him. He's taking what's common and He's making it holy. And so I've talked to people who they've, they've eaten the bread and they've got healed in their body. That's dynamic. I've talked to other people who experienced as they partook of communion through weeping, they're, they're drinking the juice and they're weeping and they're, they've poured out their heart to God and they've confessed their sins and they come up from that experience and they're new, they're clean, they feel like they can walk on in life. Why is that? Because communion is not merely symbolic. It's not just us wrestling with our imaginations to believe in what Jesus did for us, but the Holy Spirit is coming to us and, and, and actually enlivening our imaginations and making that real. And at that moment, Jesus is crucified for me. And it might have happened 2,000 years ago, but he moves in his timelessness as only God can. And the benefits of that cross and the benefits of what he has done come right to us in this moment. And that which is eternal and that which is ancient becomes now, it becomes present. And it's life-changing. I thought it was a good word. So. so just a few thoughts as we get ready to move into this. Through communion, Jesus shows us that he yearns to be with us as friends and as brothers and sisters. Notice what Jesus said there in Luke 21, excuse me, 22, 15. He said, then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Those words fervently desired they mean they evoke a strong and passionate desire and longing. In the same way that we can at times desire things that are forbidden, desire a person, want something so bad that we could almost die. If you've ever been a, a, a parent of a toddler, I want it! That's actually what those words mean. So, so check it out. This is what Jesus said. He's got his disciples around the table they're, they're laying, they're lounging at the table, right? All the elements of the Passover meal are there. So there's a lamb, there's bitter roots and herbs, there's bread, multiple glasses of wine would have been drunk during the Passover meal. If you've ever had a Passover meal, you know what it's like. And they're remembering how God rescued his nation Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders. And on the very last night of that rescue mission, God protected Israel in the land of Goshen and they painted their doorposts with blood, the top and the sides with blood and the death angel passed over all the Jews and they were preserved. They're talking about that and they're remembering that and, and in the midst of all of that, Jesus says to them, I have yearned to be with you so much. It was his last meal. It was, he was getting ready to go die on the cross. And here's the beauty of the gospel. What Jesus did 2,000 years ago and what he felt for his people is real right now. He fervently, passionately desires to be with you. He wants you to be his friends and his family. He wants you to come near he wants you to feast at his table. He wants you to come near to him. Amen?
Many of you have been through communion services over the years, so you know that communion kind of resets and recenters us on Him. You know, through the course of the week, we're all busy with our lives and we're going about things and we're crazy. And then this is one of the beautiful things and one of the reasons why gathering together in worship as a church family is so important is because when we come together like this and we worship God and we hear the word and people pray for us, we recenter something about our inner compass gets put back on true north, right? Doesn't that happen to you? It happens to me. And I'm like preparing and getting my message ready and everything. But when I come in here and I worship with you and I'm with my brothers and sisters and I see people and I make connections, something happens inside of me. I don't know how many of you remember this. I have my phone out for a reason. Um, but how many of you, you, you remember the, the, the compass on your phones? Any of you ever used your compasses, right? When they first came out with these, these compasses would, would get messed up all the time. They'd need to be recalibrated. Do you remember that? And to recalibrate them, you'd take them and put them in a a figure eight, yeah, or an infinity sign, right? And you do that and then they'd be reset. When we gather together, and if you've ever, <laughs> you see this all the time in movies, right? You, you, you have people, they're in jeopardy and they're trying to make their way through the jungle or the wilderness and their compass is not reading right and they're like hitting it and then boom, it, it goes back. Oh, okay, wait, ooh, we're going the wrong direction, right? And they recalibrate it. That's what happens when we have communion. We gather together and the Spirit of God takes the bread and the juice and recalibrates our heart and sets it back on Jesus. Amen? And through communion, we celebrate His sacrificial love. Through communion, He invites us to receive His new covenant of forgiveness. We, we're reminded we're forgiven. Through communion, He calls us to proclaim His death until He comes. I, I love this. Through communion, we celebrate Jesus and his sacrificial death. You know, I want to remind you that although we need to be serious and we need to be sober, we also need to celebrate. Communion is a time to celebrate. I'm forgiven. I'm loved. I'm in. I'm not out. I'm part of the family. I'm good with God. Heaven isn't scowling at me. When I look up to the heavens, I don't find a face of displeasure. I find a face of favor. I find a God who smiles. I find a God who says, I love you because of my son. And apart from that, I love you because you're mine. I love you in your uniqueness as my son, as my daughter. And so communion is a time to celebrate, just a, a time to remember the goodness of God. Amen?